0: Welcome to Alberta Conservation Association's Harvest Your Own podcast, the resource for everything hunting, navigating through the field, the butcher shop, and the kitchen. Life is all about great food. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fenson, an avid outdoor enthusiast who has worked as a freelance journalist, photographer, and public speaker for over three decades. I have hunted, fished, and foraged all my life and hope to share my passion for the outdoors. Along the way, I want to encourage everyone to harvest wild proteins and enjoy the satisfaction of providing the next meal for your family. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and inspire individuals to get outdoors and create a connection between food, health, and your future meals. Welcome to Harvest Your Own. Tonight, I've got some special guests and long-term friends, both TJ Schwanke and Vanessa Harrop. Welcome to Harvest Your Own.
2: Well,
3: thank you for having us.
2: Thanks so
1: much, Brad. Yeah, you know, we go back a long ways. We've done lots of things. I know a lot of your history, and it, uh, it's inspiring. It, uh, you know, you, you basically live a hunting lifestyle. You embrace it in all ways, but in order for people to understand what a hunting lifestyle is, I think we need to start at the beginning. TJ, how did you get started hunting? I know you don't come well, from a hunting family.
3: Yeah. And I I guess that is kind of the unique thing is, um, you know, mom and dad never hunted. I had one grandpa that, you know, shot some grouse during the depression to feed the family, but there's really no history of hunting in my family. And, I don't know. I honestly believe some people are just born hunters. And I think I was one of those people. It was just, I, from the time, you know, of my first memories, it was, I, you know, I was looking through the pages about their life and field and stream, just dreaming about one day hunting. And, you know, while mom and dad weren't hunters themselves, they certainly facilitated it as best they could. And, you know, probably when I was, I don't know, just old enough to hunt, and I don't know what that would have been, maybe 14, mom would drive me out to the field and I'd go duck hunting, goose hunting by myself. And so, you know, they were super supportive and just kind of, I guess, morphed from there.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it was easier back then, if people were more understanding or parents or, you know, lifestyle was different when the family slowed down on Sunday to watch Walt Disney and, you know, uh, having supportive parents obviously made a huge difference. But I mean, you took it on pretty quick. You went from hunting ducks and geese on your own to having a trap line on the edge of the city and, and onward and upward.
3: Yeah, exactly. And like I say, I, I have no idea what it was deep somewhere in my psyche that drove me, but it was just all I could think about and all I wanted to do. So, you know, I just pursued it with with their help. And, and maybe it was more accepted back then and, you know, more publicly available. But, um, you know, most of my friends didn't hunt. I had very few friends even that hunted. So it was, it was kind of a strange phenomenon.
1: Right. And speaking of not having any experience hunting or any friends that hunt, Vanessa, when's the first time you actually thought about hunting?
2: um probably about 2 months before I went on my first hunt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you tell us where you grew up, your bit of your background and I'm sure it doesn't include much having to do with hunting.
2: No, no, not at all. Um I just like TJ I don't come from a hunting background. Neither of my parents ever hunted, um or grandparents or anything else. And so, you know, I grew up in Victoria, BC. I spent most of my childhood either uh, competing with horses or sailing, uh, you know, and spending a lot of time on the water. And um, so, yeah, never even had any exposure at all to hunting until I met TJ.
1: And I I guess I'd have to ask, like, what was it that uh, sort of flipped the switch that you thought, hey, that sounds like fun. I want to go try that. (laughs)
2: It was actually kind of an interesting um, situation. Uh, TJ had to go and sight in some rifles. And um, this was just when we were early stages of getting to know one another. And he said, you know, you want to come along? And I'm like, sure, I've never done that before. I mean, I've, you know, planked around with, with, you know, old rifles and that sort of thing, but never anything in particular. So we went out there and started shooting. And he had, like, just a whole array of different kinds of rifles out. And I was I just, I thought this was so much fun. And, um, you know, by the end of the day, I I just like, oh, this is, this is amazing. Like, I, I I just want to see if I can go hunting. And he's like, well, you know, you have to go through, you've got to jump through some hoops. Like, you've got to go and get your hunter education. You've got to, you know, you've got to practice, you've got to get your license, everything else. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, left that weekend. Then by the following weekend, I was already registered for the um, hunter-education course. (laughs) So um, next thing I know, TJ is like, hey, want to go hunting up in the Northwest Territories for a central barren ground caribou? I'm like, I jumped at the chance. I didn't know at the time whether I could actually shoot anything when it actually came in front of me. And that was the big thing. It's you know you can practice and practice and practice till you actually have an animal in front of you and you have that opportunity. Can you pull the trigger?
1: Yeah, there's a lot well, of emotions and psychology involved, isn't there?
2: There certainly is, and I know my heart was just pounding outside of my chest when I was stalking that caribou and um it was weird, you know, like when you got into position, you got down on the on the on the gun and it it was, I just had this eerie calm come over me and I just knew what to do.
1: And you did it it big time. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, harvest your own is more about helping people get started and the food and the experience. But I think everyone dreams about shooting uh, some big antlers and horns to get started or sometime during their hunting career. But you started off with a bang in more ways than one.
2: (laughs) I certainly did. Um, Uh, I was lucky enough, it was actually TJ's turn to shoot, I believe, and um, we spotted this ginormous caribou on the horizon, and everybody's like, nope, nope, Vanessa needs to shoot this, and she needs to shoot it with her muzzleloader, and um, so, you know, I was really blessed, one, because TJ arranged that whole trip for me, and two, that he gave up his spot in order for me to take this absolutely amazing caribou that ended up being at the time, uh, number four muzzleloader.
1: Right. It's pretty incredible. So yeah. there's a, there's a lot more to this story. Like there's a lot going on between you two to make this happen. There's a real will and a desire to, to try it because TJ's interested, but you caught on fire with it pretty quick and TJ, you know, uh, trying to mentor someone and show them the ropes and include them and stuff that's you're, you're really needing to work together
3: oh yeah no i mean certainly we did and and i think you know the added um challenge in all of this is we were shooting a hunting television show at the time so so vanessa kind of gets thrust into not only her first hunting day on life but you know her first day on hunting television in her life so um there was a lot going on to make it happen but it's kind of interesting you know you just kind of i guess mentioned the food aspect and i think that was um a big start in Vanessa's and I relationship too is, you know, I introduced her to, to wild game, like very, very early on. And, you know, it's always been a big part of what we did. And, you know, even I kind of look at that first trip up to the Northwest Territories, um, you know, some of the First Nations people had done some traditional harvesting there and they'd, they'd taken a swan and I forget what else they'd harvested. But, um, you know, we jumped right in and wanted to try all that meat at the at the same time. And that's been a pretty constant throughout, um, you know, our hunting career and our, you know, and our relationship career together is, is that tie to food and that tie to, you know, getting our food from the land.
1: It's embracing that lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. You guys actually use a, a tagline for describing that.
3: Yeah, so I mean, our, our tagline for the show, yeah, is you know, the hunt is about the journey. And, and that journey starts, you know, the day the first inkling of a hunt comes into your mind, and you know that journey isn't complete. You know, I wouldn't say ever, but um, you know, certainly that journey takes you through the hunt and the experience and everything else. But the culmination of that journey is is consuming that harvest.
1: Absolutely, and you know, the big reason I wanted to do this show is because. I've had a lot of feedback, and there's a lot of ladies come and say, well, my husband hunts, but I'm scared to go with him. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'll react. This is exactly your story, and the reactions were all good and positive and have grown into uh, your everyday life.
3: Yeah, I mean, we live this 24-7.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, when when most people plan a vacation, you know, they go to an all-inclusive in Mexico, when we plan a vacation, it better include hunting. It better include culture. It better include food. It is all like we don't go anywhere unless we can actually go and hunt. That's what right. we do.
1: Yeah, and you make it much more than a hunt. It really is a journey in life and and well beyond. You know. Uh, oh,
2: definitely. Anyone yeah. that
1: follows you on social media knows that you were recently in Spain and you shot some ibex, which you know is fun, adventuresome. But what you did afterwards was, uh, you know, I, I. I'd say you should get a job with tourism in Spain because you did an incredible job of, of showing what's out there and uh, what people should explore. And, you know, don't just,
3: I mean, I guess just a little addendum to the Spain trip. Um, Just before we went away, mom was scheduled to go in for surgery and um, you know, she's 88 years old. And I mean, it was pretty stressful for us going away at at the time, but she insisted we go. So we decided to kind of blast our way through the hunt as, as fast as we could. And, primarily because, you know, in, in case things went wrong with their surgery, we wanted to be able to come home early. Um, also, the weather was um, not really conducive to to good hunting there. So there was a few things. But then, so we made it through our hunt in actually six days, and we had 14 days booked. And then we just kind of looked at each other and, um, you know, well, see what happens with mom. And she happened to call that night, and everything went wonderfully. So, yeah, it was the first chance we've really had to, you know, pack a, a true vacation on to the end of the hunt, and we ended up touring. We just rented a car and kind of went on a whim, and kind of went where we wanted and stayed where we wanted with no real plan. and And saw most of Spain, and probably ate and drank most of Spain too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's encouraging. I I love the lifestyle. You know that we live it as well. But uh, you mentioned your mom. Uh, she's such a hearty soul. I love being around her. Your mom and dad have embraced this lifestyle and really come to depend on you know, some proteins every year coming from your freezer.
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, mom and dad are the first ones out here helping butcher and, and everything else. And, um, you know, they do eat wild meat as a, as a regular part of their diet. But, you know, mom and dad live in a retirement community, and there's, there's a lot of older ladies there that had husbands that hunted or, you know, older gentlemen that just can't hunt anymore. And, you know, we love to share that harvest with them as well. And, and mom and dad kind of become the facilitator for that. And um, you know, when we have extra meat, you know, we give it to them and, and they share it in their community. And it's kind of a neat story. I, I just wrote an article about community hunters here, you know, kind of going back to the first nations and Inuit, um, you know, where there'll be just a handful of hunters for a big community. And I think having that tie, you know, even as, you know, European people who don't probably have that tie as much, but, um, it's an important part of what we do as hunters is is sharing that harvest with the community.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's full circle for your mom. You know, it's, um, it's her reward for getting up on Saturday mornings and driving you out to some local field where you shot ducks and geese by yourself. And then she had to go home again. Uh, now she's rewarded with, uh, uh, elk and deer and moose and other fine table fare but uh, she's actually taken it a step further like you said she comes out and helps uh, cut wrap and, and mark and, and enjoys all aspects of it she doesn't hunt herself but you know I bet you if she is given the chance she one her she might even try it
3: well, absolutely. And I mean, and, and they, you know, when we come back from a hunt, they we typically always get together for dinner after, and they want to hear every detail, see every photo, and then, you know, they'll watch the episode on TV three or four times. So, um, <laughs> you know, they become really, really ingrained in this lifestyle as well.
1: Right. You know, people that want to get into hunting uh, and this type of
0: lifestyle, they can certainly find more on Harvest Your Own. This podcast is produced for Harvest Your Own, a program dedicated to those who want to reconnect with food and health through their experiences outdoors. HarvestYourOwn.ca is a resource for individuals to learn more about hunting and the outdoors. There's information to get you started and ensure that your compass stays pointed in the right direction to be successful. Where's your next meal coming from? Vanessa, the next
1: questions are for you. Like, there had to have been some significant challenges coming into the hunting fraternity with somebody that's well-established, has a hunting television show, lots of experience, and sort of goes at things in with breakneck speed. Is that a good way to put it?
2: Definitely. I mean, exactly like you say, I don't think when I first started hunting with TJ that I was taken seriously as a hunter. I think a lot of people looked at me as if I was just, you know, hanging on the coattails of, you know, this well-established hunter. Um, And it probably wasn't until I got my bighorn sheep in 2007 um, that I was actually starting to get taken seriously as a hunter, Um, you know. And it was just, you know, it was at that point, too, where there were a lot of women hunters joining their husbands and stuff like that. And so it it was questionable back in that that time whether you were just vanity TV and wanting to be there and be the, the arm candy or whether you were a serious hunter.
1: Well, I know for a fact I've hunted with TJ a fair bit, and he can wear a person out and make your legs hurt <laughs> for days. And I know for a fact that his sheep hunting is a passion of his. And having somebody new uh, to share with, the onus would be on you to keep up. Otherwise, he would hunt on his own. So
2: Yeah, the- and I mean, I did have some challenges with that. That's for sure. Um, when I first started hi- hiking with him, I was definitely not in sheep shape or any kind of mountain shape. Um, And I also had a little bit of an added challenge in that I had a huge fear of height.
1: Oh, that is big. (laughs) So So I knew, I knew that you'd have, I knew you put in significant time to get in sheep shape is what I'll call it because, you know, like I said, TJ lives it and hikes hard and anyone that's hunted with him knows that uh, even if he's tired, he's never going to tell you or show it. So to keep up. Exactly. To, to keep up you would have to make a serious commitment to yourself and again the lifestyle uh in order to pursue things in that way.
2: Yeah, and I mean I I totally loved it. I just had to get past a few hurdles.
1: And that's interesting because most people like people be listening like how could you love that? Like having to work out and train and do stuff to be able to climb mountains with somebody that's done it for years at breakneck speed that, you know, da 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 da. But it is true, you love it.
2: Yeah. I mean, there is nothing better than climbing a mountain in the dark and finding a sheep bed and curling up in it at the top of the mountain and waiting for the sunrise.
1: I thought I was the only one that needed to sleep when I got to the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, it's fun. Um, have you taken the, uh, your experience and influenced others with it?
2: Um, I believe I have. I mean, I think through the TV show, um, I've done a lot of writing seminars. Um, anybody I talk to, you know, whether we're at um, hunting shows, fundraisers, I, the, I'm just so passionate about it. So when anybody even approaches me and tries to talk to me about things, I just can't help myself. It's, <laughs> you know, like the passion just comes out in me and I, you won't get me to shut up. So that's, yeah. that's I try a- to share my journey as much as possible with th- as many yeah. as possible.
3: I think that's a comment. I think Vanessa's probably downplaying that a little bit too. I mean, you know, she probably influences, you know, 100,000 plus people every week. So, and I think she's become a, a really good role model. I mean, um, you know, like she did prove herself, I think, as a hunter first. And then, um, you know, I I mean, it's not uncommon to have women come up to her at, at functions and things like that and, you know, tell her that, you know, she was a big influence on them starting to hunt or, you know, getting out with her husband and things like that. So I think having strong women role models in this industry is, you know, is the key to, to getting more women out for sure.
1: Well, I I think it does make a difference. And I think people are watching, listening and paying attention. Uh, Alberta has the highest recruitment from first time hunters and for women in, in North America. And that comes from a lot of influence at home. So, you know, people like yourself, Vanessa, people are watching, people are paying attention to the little details, and that's why we're going over it is you started at the beginning, you know, at the very beginning, and you did have somebody that uh, had experience, but they learned it on their own and had found their own mentors in life too. It wasn't a family thing. You know, a lot of people think hunting is only for those that have a, a dad or a brother or a sister or a grandma or someone that can take them out, show them the ropes, but... uh life can lead you in different uh, directions and you never know where you're going to get your opportunity, where you're going to learn from. And I think uh, you're a good example of somebody that learns from everything you do.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Brad.
3: It's uh, I guess it was interesting. I was just looking at our insights for our Facebook page the other day for the TV show and 20% of our followers are women. So, you know, that's a pretty high number when even you look at the demographic of the amount of women that hunt. I mean, we're definitely right up there.
1: Well, and that's what I mean. People are paying attention. The the number of women hunters is growing in Alberta, and the ones that are interested and keen, they're looking for more information. They don't really want to know if their husband's jacket comes in a different size. They want to know what comes that fits them. And, you know, they want to know what they can experience in the field or what they can expect or if they can keep up, uh, if that opportunity is real. And I think that you portray that, you know, Whether it's your your writing or television or even social media posts, you you love life and it uh, shows through.
2: Yeah, and I mean the great thing for women hunters now is that there is such like there's so much more gear out there that is women specific, clothing, rifles, archery, you name it. It gives way more opportunity for women to get out into the field.
1: Yeah, and I think that could be a completely different episode. One on its own is, like, what is out there to help women get into the field, uh, be more successful, uh, feel confident, and, you know, be able to hunt on your own or with somebody that wants to show you the ropes? Exactly. You know, there had to have been some rough spots along the way. Uh, I'm sure training for your first sheep hunt uh had uh a five three five involved and maybe some ice and some heat <laughs> and different things but uh, you have some bittersweet moments
2: um no i don't i wouldn't say i do i I have a lot of memories that were all part of the journey um, you know there's that being said i i've got to say i'm a little um accident prone <laughs> <laughs> so but I still don't consider those bittersweet moments. Those were all things that I learned along the journey.
1: And I wouldn't say accident-prone, you know, it happens to hunters on a regular basis, Uh, and (laughs) what we're talking about is Vanessa and I share something in common. We both had a quest for a mountain goat for years, and uh, I don't know how many times you went after them, but on one of the excursions you fell and broke your arm.
2: Yes, I went after a goat five times before I was successful. And it was on the second hunt that I uh, broke my all-nut radius and smashed all the bones in my wrist and ended up with surgery to be able to rebuild it.
1: Right. Uh, T.J., I'm sure you showed nothing but care and compassion when that happened.
2: Yeah, no.
3: Like, I I actually got quite a dull stick to poke her with to get her up. So, you know, (laughs) I didn't use a sharp stick.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think the words were when he came over to me and I was lying on the ground and I said, I broke my arm and he's like, no, you didn't, you know, come on, get up, suck it up princess.
3: Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, when she did get up and I did actually see her arm was broken. We, uh, it was um it was kind of it was it really did take me back at that moment i mean certainly i went into to first aid mode and you know we got the fracture stabilized and wrapped and got Vanessa ready to um unfortunately hike out um it was just there was no way we could get a helicopter or anything in like that and it was it was a terrible long journey out of there and that's a story for another day but um you know she really did um you know, show a lot of grit and determination that day to get out of there. I know a lot of guys who who wouldn't even have uh, come close to doing that, but uh, it kind of does make you realize that, um, you know, things can go wrong out there and, man, you need to be prepared. And, you know, having wilderness first aid is, is definitely one of the things you need to know.
1: Oh, it is. And you learn that in hunter ed. You the, you figure out all the things that you should cover and all the bases and it's uh... – a pretty good start to your hunting career you know i look at it as though you tried to motivate her to get up and get going but when you realized it was a problem that uh you helped take control and helped uh make sure that she got out safely it, well would, i think
3: that was part of it and just staying calm and you know
1: staying in control of the situation and you know
3: just relying on her to to get
1: herself out well and because that was the only way out yeah, so, you know, it, it's funny that uh, you don't consider that a, a bittersweet memory. It's just part of the journey, and I think that's a great way to look at it. Uh, most people are going to go on hunting adventures and do different things, and they're never going to experience something like that. They might have the sore muscles. Uh, that they're going to miss things. They are you know might scope themselves, but that one to me was pretty major, and if you look at it as though it's uh, a memory along the journey, it uh, – It becomes a positive, and that's a good way to look at everything in life. Absolutely. Let's move into some of your best memories in the field. (laughs)
3: I'll start that off, and I I think probably, yeah, I mean, this was a tough one. I I know you sent us a list with a few questions on it, and this was one I really struggled with because there's so many good memories, but I I guess the two that come really instantly to mind, um, one is we were in Namibia in 2014, and it was kind of a dream of mine to hunt um, giraffe, and I I wanted to hunt free-ranging giraffe in their natural desert environment and had a great hunt and did that, And, and the hunt was Phenomenal, but the best part of the hunt is um, we were taking meat back to uh, a local village. The land we were hunting on was owned by a tribal conservancy. So we were taking the meat back to the village, and we took about 2,000 pounds of meat into um, a boarding school there. And when we dropped the meat off, the cooks were actually crying. Um, they hadn't had meat in several months, and the only protein these kids ever got was was hunter-supplied meat. And, and I think we all know, you know, how important meat is and everything like that. But to see, you know, kids that hadn't had protein for months and, you know, the cooks crying because you'd brought the meat, um, to me it was, it was a pretty emotional moment. And um, we did a really poor job of filming it just because I think it was pretty emotional for both of us. Um The second one that comes to mind is I was just on a walrus hunt um, three weeks ago, and I hunted walrus up in Nunavut, and hunted with um, some young Inuit guides um, who were also the community hunters up there. And, you know, in the community of Coral Harbor, it's still probably one of the few places left in North America where there is true subsistence hunting. I mean, this community lives off what the land provides them, and these young Inuit guides who are also the community hunters they're the ones who provide so um i hunted a walrus there but they would have killed this walrus regardless i mean this walrus is a big part of their traditional harvest it's just i got to be the harvester on this one and i don't know it was it was a pretty amazing moment um i I guess being tied that closely and knowing that you know what you'd done was was helping people live through the winter
1: You know, we're not that far removed from it either. Uh, We go back uh, 50, 60 years, people in the north were still living a nomadic life and there were no communities. I mean, it's not, it's hard for people to comprehend that people still live that lifestyle, but they do. And uh, to be able to be part of it uh, helps embrace things and helps you along your journey too.
3: It does. And it, it put things in, I guess, in a little better perspective for me, you know, just even supplying meat to my mom and dad and, you know, their friends and things like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's on a smaller scale and, and maybe not as critical to their survival, but it, it's still a part of the big picture and in being a hunter and provider.
1: Yeah, I think that's important. Uh, I know it is for me. I share a lot of wild game, especially with people that show interest in trying it. And I write a lot of recipes and you know, we do a lot of things with Harvest Your Own and go to Waterfall Warm Up and the Pheasant Festival and, and try to encourage people to try new things, try new recipes, and embrace what they do harvest. So, uh, to me, it, it's got a long history and uh, it's part of who we are as hunters. And I think uh, it'll always be there for me, wanting to, to share that and help provide for others as well. Vanessa, you must have uh, a couple outstanding experiences that stand out.
2: Well, I've got to say I'm kind of like TJ, I believe that all of my adventures have been absolutely amazing and they all share their own separate memories. Uh, One that does come to mind for me was we did our very, very first trip to Africa in 2009 and it was a trip to Namibia and I figured this was going to be my once in a lifetime trip to Africa. I dreamt of going to Africa all my life. And one of the things that we were doing was we were going to do the SCI Blue Bag Program. And if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's where you bring um, school supplies and everything else for some of the smaller communities in, in Africa or around the world for that matter. And so what I did was I contacted a couple of people in the Northern Alberta chapter of Safari Club. And they organized through some schools in Edmonton. To gather up school supplies and then they sent them all down to me and I went through them all and we had, I don't know, about 200 pounds of school supplies. And so we arranged with our outfitter to go to one of the schools in the conservancy. We brought all the school supplies, but we also brought meat with us along. And they had this cool, it was called the meat hanging tree. And you hung the meat in the tree. And then they went and they would harvest, like they would take that meat out of the tree. And the kids were so excited to see all of these school supplies and to see the meat. It was absolutely amazing. And then what I did was I got a huge world map that was plasticized so they could hang it on their school wall. And then I showed them where we lived and I showed them where they lived. And it was the most amazing experience of my life.
1: It sounds amazing. Uh, Again, (laughs) reaching out to help others and uh, see how other people live is, is enlightening.
0: This podcast was made possible by Alberta Conservation Association and the Harvest Your Own community. If you're interested in harvesting your own food, there's a comprehensive collection of information to gain insight and knowledge, head to the field, harvest your own protein, prepare it, and taste the results. HarvestYourOwn.ca is a library of information from getting started and geared up to processing, butchering, and cooking wild game to make the connection between health and food.
1: Now, another big question is, you know, you guys maybe could tell us a little bit about... uh... Outdoor Quest Television and what it is—you one of the—you are the longest-running hunting show in Canada, I believe.
3: Yeah, so um, started filming in Outdoor Quest for Outdoor Quest TV in um, 1999. So we're just on our 23rd season of broadcast right now, and, and we are the longest-running hunting television show um, in Canada that's ever been. I mean, I think you probably like me grew up with, you know, Red Fisher and people like that and, you know, thought, man, I could never be on TV that long. And now I'm I'm an old guy like Red. But um, and it, um, so we started the TV show with um, Richard and Sandy Mellon. And continued with them until 2014, and richard and Sandy uh, started a breakoff show about trapping, and their you know kind of love of trapping kind of took over their lives and so they decided it was best if they left outdoor quest TV and, and just continued on with the trapping and the trapping show so um, Vanessa and I have been uh, you know doing outdoor Quest TV on our own for uh well since 20, 2014 so um, yeah it's, it's been an amazing journey. we started broadcasting in the U S there were no uh, networks at all in Canada to broadcast on. Then we started, we switched over to wild TV. We broadcast on wild TV the very first day it started in Canada. And then four years ago we switched to sportsman channel Canada. And I don't know, our show has morphed over the years um i I remember one season in 13 episodes we had 42 kills in it and you know i I think at that time television was about showing kills on hunting television shows and now i mean you know typically we'll have maybe one harvest on a on an episode and you know sometimes it'll be a two-part show for for one kill And, and i think that's where our shows really changed and and that's probably you know we all know this the five stages that hunters go through And and I think our show has gone through those five stages. And and now it's so much about the experience. We've just kind of slowed everything down in the way we film and the way we hunt and the way we tell the story. Um, You know, so if we go to Africa and, you know, we have a two or three day hunt for a kudu, I want to take a whole episode and, and show that. So so people know what's involved there. And I, I think people are starting to appreciate that. And our demographics, obviously, an older age group, just, you know, like we are. And I think they appreciate that style that we've developed. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of young kids that don't like what we do. And that's fine. Like, you're never going to please everyone on television. But uh, I don't know. We just, that tagline keeps coming back. I mean, the hunt is about the journey. And, and we want to share every minute of that journey, even in the 22 minutes we're on television.
1: You know, when you make it a journey, it is entertaining, it is educational, and it has influence. Like, you know, we we just come through some COVID years, and I really enjoyed your episodes from Alberta. And and you had them dedicated to certain elk hunts and deer hunts. And, you know, one of the other things that uh, shows me how much you've embraced hunting and what you need to do is Vanessa was even harvesting uh, local deer with her bow, so, you know, you continue to to change and morph, as you said, but uh, I think it's all good, and it, it continues to entertain, educate, and influence people.
3: Well, I mean, we want to be who we are on television. Like, there's, there's nothing contrived, nothing phony about what we show on television. We're showing you who we are as hunters and how we hunt one of the challenges we face is it's just been sni and we have to produce 13 episodes a year Um, so thankfully we love to travel and we try to get you know six or seven episodes from our overseas trips every year but you know that still leaves us six or seven episodes to do here in canada and for us you know we plan on like from september till the end of november we pretty much hunt Alberta exclusively. You know, we may pop over to an adjacent province or something like that. But, you know, we try not to plan anything internationally because we love hunting here at home. And and I know people like to see that. And, you know, the point you make about the COVID stuff, I mean, all of a sudden we couldn't travel and we couldn't get those six or seven episodes overseas. So we really had to embrace everything that Alberta had to offer. And it was good. We reconnected with some old friends. Uh, We did a lot more waterfowl hunting, which is something, you know, we hadn't done for a lot of years and loved to do. And, you know, Vanessa got, like Vanessa's the bow hunter of the two of us, for sure. She lives to bow hunt and loves to bow hunt. So, you know, she got more serious about bow hunting, which brought us some more episodes. So, COVID, as bad as it was, I mean, there was some good to us. And, you know, not that we ever forgot how great Alberta was, but man, it sure made us rediscover and reappreciate what we have here.
1: Yeah. I, um, you know, when I look at your journey in television and the years and with Vanessa and what you both do together, I see that you dive into things and become experts. You know, you talk about waterfall hunting, shotguns, loads, camo, decoys. Uh, optics, long range shooting, bullets, bullet construction, how they work, clothing, boots. Uh, There's a lot of education in your shows. And I think that's what a lot of people that are aspiring to hunt or first-time hunters or people who want more success in the field are looking for. So, you know.
3: And and that was kind of, I guess, a switch in our show probably five or six years ago is, you know, Vanessa and I kind of sat down and and looked at, and our show's morphing all the time, as I mentioned. And, And one of the things we looked at was, you know, people want, more education. They don't want 22 minutes of it, but man, they sure love two or three minutes of it. So um, that was something we kind of talked about together and, and came up with a plan that in every episode we'd have a two or three minute tip. And I mean, certainly we're using our sponsor's products in those tips, but our tips are universal. I mean, it doesn't matter what scope you're using or what ammunition or rifle or clothes you're using. We try to keep our tips so they will work for you no matter what brands you're using. And I think Vanessa's brought a pretty unique um, perspective to that how-to stuff, you know, talking from a woman's perspective.
2: Definitely. I mean, with the newer gear that's out there that can fit women, we can bring so much more to the table for those women hunters. And, you know, clothing, rifles, archery equipment, it makes it so that they can get out into the field, be more comfortable, be more efficient, and be more successful.
1: Yeah, and I think there's even a, a broader message, bigger, more important, is that people are intimidated, but you can, uh, you, know, you can become accomplished at anything you tackle. Like you can become an expert at optics and understand it and bullets and know which one to choose and how to match arrows to the weight of your bow, and you've been through that learning curve with everything
3: yeah and I, I think for both of us and I, we are a bit of perfectionists, and when we do something, we want to do it right, and you know I, I kind of hate the word "expert" in some ways because I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know, kind of thing, but I try to only talk about what I know. And if I don't know something, man, I'm going to learn everything I can about it. I'm going to talk to people who are experts. Um, You know, sometimes we'll have experts on the show to talk about things that we aren't comfortable talking about, but you're right. There's so much knowledge available out there. And I mean, you just have to spend a day or two on social media to realize like how few people actually go out there and seek out that knowledge that's there. And I guess that became part of our mantra is like, we want to share that knowledge and we don't want to be the experts. We just kind of want to be the conduit of, you know, that knowledge from the experts to our viewers.
1: Yes. It's because you're a sponge with all of it as well. So it, it, uh, again, it's part of that journey. I think your tagline is very appropriate for who you are and what you do and what you've accomplished.
3: When, and it all comes down to being successful in the field. Yes. But, you know, I think the big thing is getting that, you know, humane kill i mean as hunters that's our ultimate goal is is when we take a life of an animal we want to do it quickly and efficiently and and the more knowledgeable we come the better we become at that
1: exactly yep and uh we can overcome those those jitters for first-time hunters by embracing the knowledge and making sure you're prepared and going with people that uh if you don't know that do know the answers and where to head
3: yeah. And I mean, you know, I grew up without mentors and man, I made a lot of pretty bad mistakes along the way that, you know, even the Internet or something like that definitely could have helped or watching a YouTube video or, you know, even better hunter education. I mean, I look at the hunter education courses nowadays and they're, they're so much more complete than than what we grew up with. So in some ways, becoming a hunter nowadays is, is so much easier than it was like, you know, when we all started.
1: Yes, times have changed, and the way people get in is uh, certainly different. Uh, the, the information highway is incredible nowadays. So people that are interested in learning and getting out, they can watch shows like yours, The Outdoor Quest, uh, Harvest Your Own has a lot of information. Do you have any last words of advice for people that are wanting to get into hunting or are trying it for the first time and are looking for more success?
3: Don't be afraid to reach out. Um, You know, if you don't come from a hunting background, if you don't have family members that hunt, reach out to people that do. I mean, don't you know? We get emails all the time from people who. Um, you know, are interested in getting started in hunting and, you know, where they should look, who they should talk to, you know, fish and game clubs are a great place to go. There's there's all kinds of conservation organizations, you know, there's there's sheep and there's elk and um, there's ducks and everything else. And I mean, get yourself around hunters, I, I would say would probably be the biggest uh, thing you can do. And, and once you get yourself around hunters, there's people going to you know take you in and enter you. Hunters are good people. Um, for the most part, you know, we've met hunters from all over the world and there's hardly a city we can go to, you know, in North America and in a lot of places in the world where if we haven't met a hunter from there, I could put a post up on social media and probably be having dinner with someone there that night. And that's not because of who I am or anything else. It's because I'm a hunter and there's there's that bond between hunters. So if you are interested in hunting, just find a way to surround yourself with hunters. And there's lots of easy
1: ways to do that. I think that's great advice. Vanessa, you got any words of wisdom and uh, some partying advice?
2: Well, he actually stole the words right out of my (laughs) mouth. I was going to say the first thing you want to do is join a fish and game club, um, Safari club, international chapter, volunteer. uh, And just, um, you know, there's, there's a ton of, social media groups out there, even Facebook pages. There's a ton of women's Facebook page pages that are all surrounding hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors. Uh, that's a great place to start. Everybody's super friendly. The camaraderie out there for hunters and fishermen is incredible. And nobody is, is going to turn you away if you are willing to learn.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I heard that once. Uh, I was at a an outdoors show and uh father was talking to his kids and he says, listen, if we happen to get separated, look for somebody in hunting camo. I know they're going to help. You. <laughs> and that's a true a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
3: people, Non-hunters would probably tell their kids don't look <laughs> for people in camo, but yeah. Right. Um, Hundred percent true. Like once you're in that community, and um, it's it's just such a welcoming, you know, good bunch of people. And it's I think it's why it's become our twenty four seven lifestyle. Like I can't think of people we'd rather be around,
1: or a better lifestyle. Well, this is true too.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's is such a healthy lifestyle.
1: Yes, in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's good for the uh, the body and the soul and the mind. Exactly. Uh, people that would like to follow you, where can they find you?
3: Probably the easiest place to follow us is on our Facebook page, and it's just Outdoor Quest TV. We're still kind of old, gray-haired people that um, rely hey, on for
2: yourself. <laughs>
3: they rely on Facebook a lot, and we're quite active on our on our Facebook page, and we share a lot on there. I mean, we have a, a website as well, but I, I would tell tell people just go to our Facebook page and follow us there. We pretty much talk about everything we're doing and have all kinds of great discussions on there. I'm famous for throwing up. Controversial subjects, trying to get people's you know thoughts and influence. I, I think we need to talk more about hunting, and that's what we try to use social media for.
1: Yeah, you, you do a good job of it. You uh, put the question out there, and sometimes you get some pretty crazy responses. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes people think. That's what we're we're trying to do is uh, encourage people, make them think, and uh, you know, it sort of we can to- talk. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Open the dialogue.
1: Exactly. I'd like you to thank you for sharing your journey with the listeners tonight. I think it's a great one, and, you know, you've had some incredible experiences all around the world, but you've had lots of them right here at home, and people that are looking to get out and shoot their first duck or the first deer or or whatever it is, uh, it it could change your life drastically, Um, and that's why we had Vanessa and TJ here tonight to to express that and uh, share where this journey could take you.
3: Well, and where, it's, where it starts too, and I, I think I, I kind of brought this up the other day with, a, with somebody, we all start at an equal place and it's the decisions we make along the way is where we end up. So, you know, I guess if you look at someone like you, Brad, that's had a tremendously successful career in the hunting industry. And I think some people look with envy, but really people should look how to emulate you, not, not envy you, but how to emulate what you've done. And man, if, if you can ever get on that track, you'll live a good lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it's very rewarding in many ways. And, uh, you know, nowadays I, I really enjoy sharing the messages with people and en- encouraging people and uh, having guests on like yourself just to make sure that we uh, share that community as in, in, in as many ways as possible.
3: Well, thanks for having us on, Brad.
2: Yes, thank you so much, Brad.
1: Yep, thank you. We hope to inspire people to reconnect with nature and appreciate where your food comes from by harvesting your own for more information on getting started or to learn specifics about the field to fork experience visit harvestyourown.ca and follow on facebook and instagram check back often for new material recipes and videos that are posted regularly please subscribe to harvest your own podcast and take the time to rate and review the show to help us build a dedicated core of passionate hunters as our regular audience Until next time, embrace the outdoors and all it has to offer. Thanks for joining us.